Libby Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast, powered by Twisted Tea. So we've got Weldon Rodenberg on for a little Peach Bowl preview. We talked about the matchup, the trajectory of the two programs, Ole Miss's transfer portal success since the last time we talked, and uh, really everything in between. And of course, the fastest growing segment on American soil, Soccer Corner, to wrap it up. So hopefully this will get you in the Peach Bowl mindset. Maybe you're listening to it on the way. I appreciate it as always. Um, but before we get to that, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Seaspire. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Look, I tried to tell you guys, if you didn't sign up for Skybox at the beginning of the college basketball season when they put out their model, that is uh, on you. Because the last two weeks, Skybox clients are up 50 plus units total. They're up 22.4 units in the last week in college basketball. They rake it in every year. If you like college basketball and making money, which I don't know why you wouldn't like both of those things, you need to sign up for SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Go online, SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Sign up for a picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, at this rate, if you're not signing up for the year-long all-access pass, I don't know what to tell you. You're just neglecting yourselves. Profit. Check them out today. you got NFL playoffs coming up. you got the end of the regular season. You've got college hoops that they absolutely mop up in every single year, just getting into full swing. It is a tremendous time to try Skybox Sports Picks. Don't be the guy paying the man every Monday trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Have him pay you and uh, get a little extra Christmas money in your pocket. Check them out today. They're absolutely crushing it. Again, 22.4 units just last week. How does that sound to you? Sounds pretty awesome to me. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats right now. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Okay, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. A little uh, rare Rippy Wright's AM edition of the pod as we record this on a Thursday morning. How's your Christmas, dude? Is everything well on your end? Uh, Christmas was great. I'm actually on location here in Fairhope, Alabama. Uh, left Batners yesterday and staying out here for a few days before we make the long trek back to Houston. Um, yeah, AM edition, been up since like, six thanks to the dog so um, i'm pretty awake pretty with it usually i am not a morning person at all that's been a, a massive adjustment to say the least so we're, we're good here we're, we're good um yeah dude i feel like we're gonna have to have like puppy corner for the next several pods now that we're both uh parents now so mc and i did separate christmases she went home to texarkana i went to uh jackson mississippi just kind of like the last one i guess where we get married or whatever just kind of did her own thing but she took eddie the dog with her. He's like 11 weeks. And I didn't see him for like, probably it was, I guess a total of five days. Um, And I, he's 11 weeks. I swear to God, when he got back, I was like, this dude is doubled in size. I was like, he looks like a different animal. I don't know if it, that's just me. I don't know if it was like um, separate or attachment syndrome, whatever it's called. But I was like, this dude looks like twice the size of when he left five days ago. I'm sure that's not possible, but it was just in my head when I saw him last night. 
No, it's definitely possible. I mean, we've had Frankie for two weeks now. She's like 10 weeks old and she is already darker, longer, taller than she was when we got her. Um, so she had a very eventful Christmas. I mean, of course, we're going back in town. She's like the the one great grandchild that anyone has. So everyone that's it that, you know, is part of our family or friends wants to see her. So we would bring her around to houses. So Elizabeth and I are both from Baton Rouge. So our families live, you know, a one minute away from each other. So anybody in between got to see the dog and she made it well known to uh, mark her territory in every single house that we went to. Uh, so by the time we got to like the third or fourth, we're like, look, this dog's peeing in your house. Like, if you don't like that, let us know. We won't come in. If you're cool with that, dog's coming in. Um, so the, you know, you have to like sensitize them very early. They, they say that they need to be social. They need to be around other dogs and other people, because if you don't do it early, then you, you won't be able to take them anywhere once they're like older because they won't understand like how to be social. So we tried our best, but that did lead to a lot of accidents. Yeah. And he got his first round of shots the other week. So he can like start going around other dogs or not first round, whatever the latest round was. It's the he second did... round probably. Yeah. Second one. Cause I think the breeder took care of the first one. He did fine on the shots. He did not like the, uh, basically they took like a poop sample and I was like, oh, yeah. I don't blame you, man. I got an exit only policy down there too. But uh, he he did uh, he did not enjoy that part. But it was fine on the shots. We're leaving him for the first time, uh, both of us. I'm headed to the Peach Bowl uh, a little bit after we uh, finished recording this, so that'll be interesting to see. So uh, yeah, son's doing well. Uh, it's great to be a parent. And, yeah, um, my Frankie did not do well with the second round of shots. Really? She woke up at two thirty a.m. Uh, throwing up, so we had to have our first. Uh, child emergency room situation um and we're up from 2 30 to probably 6 30 having to get her tested for parvo and whatever but really she just like didn't respond well to the um the second round of vaccines so i've, I've already made that trip to the puppy emergency room so she's become almost half of what she we bought her for was <laughs> was the emergency room bill uh over in houston so that was fun yeah, he's uh, that's I have a hard time not looking at Eddie as just a recurring tab that I'm gonna have to pay <laughs> monthly, but it is what it is. No, he was fine on the, he didn't throw up anything on the shot just when someone stuck something near his asshole, he was like, Get away. So, um, anyway, uh, well, God, that's all going well. We do have a football game here in a couple of days, Ole Miss playing Penn State in the Peach Bowl. And I guess as it gets nearer, my excitement is growing. I had a Penn State guy on who people listening either will have already heard or maybe hear slightly after, not quite sure how I'm gonna do that podcast wise, but. Um, I don't know. There was so much news going on with Ole Miss that we can get to before that. I haven't really put a ton of focus on the game, but now, now as it sits like 48 hours out, I find myself getting more and more excited about it. I saw it's a sellout. I think both teams will travel well. You know, 11 a.m., I guess noon Eastern time um, will make it a little bit sleepy, but I think it should be a pretty fun football game in a pretty electric environment. I know I made the comment last time we did one after the Sugar Bowl, just you forget how awesome the big-time bowl games are still, even if they don't matter. But, uh, yeah, I don't really have even a question that. I'm just more excited about it now that it's 48 hours out. Yeah, I mean, 11 a.m. is a little bit of a downer. Um, yeah. But it, it kind of is what it is, and I think for a bowl game like this, with uh, of Ole Miss just having so many alumni – in Atlanta and near Atlanta and Penn State being, you know, the school that it is, I mean, it is a massive school. Uh, I would expect that it will be a pretty electric atmosphere, even though it's in the morning. Uh, I, I doubt. I mean, you know, they always say it sells out. It won't um, be every sequel, I wouldn't think. Yeah, this is not going to be like an SEC championship game sellout where like literally there are no seats available. Um, but I think it'll be packed. I think it's one of the rare bowl games at least of like the really big ones on um, the New Year's Six Bowls and even some of the other ones where like there's semi-genuine excitement from both fan bases, it seems like. Uh, it feels like both teams are actually excited to be there and, and both fan bases are excited to travel to go see it. Um, so I'm excited for it. Absolutely. I, I think that I'm really just excited because it's a, just another opportunity to watch Ole Miss play more than anything. Um, I mean, obviously, I want them to win very badly. I will not be losing sleep over the fact that they may lose this game. Uh, it might damper a little bit of like the the hype train that's going into next year for Ole Miss that we'll talk about. But at the end of the day, these are just exhibitions uh, that are made for the players to have fun and to put a little bit extra money in the SEC's pocket and ESPN's pocket. Um, and that's kind of like the cynical view, of course, but it, it's just another opportunity to watch a football game you care about. And a lot of these bowls that 
you know, despite me betting on them, like it's really hard to care about any of these outcomes. So that that's the most exciting part for me. Yeah, it is. And I think this game's a little bit saved by uh, um, two strong brands, right? It's Ole Miss and Penn State. I don't think I've ever played each other. It's a, you know, an SEC program on the rise and a big time Big Ten program. And the reason I mentioned that is it stuck out to me. I asked the Penn State writer, um, like what their fan level excitement was. And he was like, I think it was saved more by the fact that Penn State's not going to the Cotton Bowl to play a group of five school because they had done that a couple of years ago. I can't remember which game it was. Um, but he was like, I think the fact that it's an SEC program has made Penn State people more excited about it as opposed to going to another New Year's Six Bowl and playing a group of five school, which like nothing wrong with it. Like the New Year's, uh, the group of five getting included in that. But it does, I think, change the excitement level a little bit as, as opposed to like Ole Miss playing Tulane or something. Well, it's also a different location for for Penn State because you know they've paid they've played in quite a few of these New Year's Six bowls. You know, credit to James Franklin, they haven't exactly gotten over like to the playoff, but that kind of hump. But they've played in these games, but also like just in their history and just knowing Penn State, they've played in so many Florida bowls. I mean, they they've played in Tampa and Jacksonville and Orlando and. I'm sure that kind of gets old after a while. It's probably nice to be able to go to a, a place like Atlanta, playing a team they've never played before. Uh, that's usually what makes these bowl games fun. I, I think that when you look at some of the other matchups, it's like, man, I feel like we've seen a lot of Iowa and a lot of Wisconsin and a lot of whatever um, over the past few years. And it's it's cool to see just a different team from their perspective. And I think the same for Ole Miss's perspective. They've been to Atlanta for a bowl game, but it's crazy enough. It's been almost 10 years since that game. Um, to be able to get back there, play in the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I know they've done it in a, you know, opening game like two years ago against Louisville, but this one will have a little bit bigger of a meaning. And, you know, besides Cedric Johnson, everyone's playing in this game that's healthy and available. So, I mean, Penn State has a few opt-outs, but that's just the reality of the bowl games. Uh, no problem with that. That is what it is. Uh, so it's going to be a pretty cool matchup of two teams that, like, aren't sitting a whole lot of guys, two teams that are excited, two fan bases that are excited, playing in a, a cool bowl game, um, close spread. I think it's going to be a close game. And, I mean, it's just all you can ask for for a bowl game these days that just don't matter at all to most fan bases and most teams. We don't have to go deep down in the rabbit hole of the opt-outs. There's been plenty of discussion on our board, other message boards about the Cedric Johnson decision. Um I don't know why the, him winning the Chucky Mullins award has anything to do with it, but I've seen that brought up a lot. It does not. Yeah, it's just, I mean, opt-outs are what they are. I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, the fact that it is an exhibition game that doesn't matter, and I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about how this game doesn't make any sort of difference at all. It's a fun matchup. It, you know, can serve as some momentum into next year and all that. But at the end of the day, it is an exhibition, and I just, I can't begrudge these kids for opting out and preserving their NFL future because Cedric Johnson – um, I'd read that he'd gotten like a third round grade somewhere in there. Well, what does that look like for a guy if he has a severe ankle injury or something in a game that's not going to necessarily count for anything? I just I, I know it's been said ad nauseum, but I, I, I think it bears repeating. I, I just can't get upset with these dudes for not playing in bowl games. I just I, I can't I can't get there. Absolutely not. No, I mean, he's the only guy he's he's kind of a tweener. He's got a chance in Mobile to really raise his stock. And if he was, for whatever reason, hurt during that week where, you know, the game, senior bowl game doesn't necessarily matter, but the four or five practices you have in front of, like, everyone who's anyone in the NFL is incredibly important to those guys. Um, and for anybody, I mean, Cedric Johnson was there during, like, I think my second class. I think he was, like, a 2019 guy. He's been there for five years almost. Is he from Mobile? Do I remember that correctly? He's from Mobile. Yeah, okay. he went to Davidson High School. And – you know, to go back with his whole family, all the NFL stuff like this game is just not that important for him and his future. Um, and I know it sucks, but like all this nonsense about like him, like quitting on the team and being a Chucky Mullins guy and opting out and quitting. Like, that's just you got to get over it. I mean, that that's not how this shit works anymore. And I, he's been as good of a rebel as anybody. He stayed. He's developed. He, he's been a leader. He's been important to this team in many ways on and off the field. Not playing in one bowl game, that is just not a big deal. And we're not even going to harp on it because if you're still, like, caught up on that, I, we can't help you. That That's college football these days. You know that. It's nothing new. So just, just let it be. You know, this is a big moment for him coming up in a few weeks down in Mobile. Atlanta is not going to change anything for him. Mobile absolutely will. 
So I had got I was told a few weeks ago by someone that Cedric Johnson was going to be the lone opt out in this bowl game. And I think I'd maybe mentioned it in passing in like a Neil's pick column, but didn't mention who it was. I wasn't even trying to play like coy or anything. I just didn't I didn't have it enough to where I could like report it and put it on the board or whatnot. But I had someone text me and was like, is it Spencer Sanders? And I was like, um, I mean, I guess he technically did opt out. If you if you go to school for a semester and you don't go to class, you're ruled academically ineligible or you can't play in the bowl game. I guess that counts as, as opting out. That is a quite the different path toward opting out. But I don't know if that counts because opting out means you have the option to not play. Um, I don't think Mr. Sanders had the option. I think he uh, you call that a force out. Yeah, force out. He forced himself out um, by not going to school. He did a classic Ben Simmons where he ends up at school for one semester, says, I'm good here. Uh, class is just not for me. I didn't come here to play school. And now he will not be out there. So, and honestly, that's what a fine. weird end to a career. Yeah, just bizarre. And I think you kind of saw like people kind of forgot, at least like from the national media or people that focus on a lot on college football, like forgot that he was at Ole Miss. And whenever that report came out, you saw a lot of people tweet like, hey, I forgot he was there. Like, what a weird deal. Like, it was kind of a hindsight look from a lot of people who know who that guy is. And for a lot of Ole Miss people, it was like, yeah, this is just kind of par for the course for this whole deal. It's it's always been weird for us. But, no, he hasn't been there. I'm sure he hasn't been practicing, which means that's good for Austin Simmons and Howard to get more reps, though I can't imagine those are very intense practices. I would consider it an all-around positive. Just kind of get him out and, and move on to the next phase of this Ole Miss team and this Ole Miss program. And it's weird for a guy like him. I mean, you talk about people forget he was there when you're, it's kind of our, the way our brains work in this microwave society of like, you know, a guy stays out of the spotlight for even a little bit. You kind of forget he exists. That guy was a four year starter in the big 12. He had an all big 12 year. He played in a big 12 championship game and, Look, they had an offensive coordinator change that he didn't jive with, and we've covered all of that, like why he chose to go to Ole Miss. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he got a whole you know bag of cash, not like in a literal sense, but he made money. He played backup quarterback. I, I'll never fully understand the decision or what his options were. I don't really quite understand how that went. But, like, I guess it didn't work out terribly for Spencer Sanders. I think we all just think, like, you know, first and foremost, why would a four-year starter come to play backup for a semester, and that's how he ended his career? I'm sure he probably didn't think he'd be a backup, but I guess at the end of the day, the guy got paid. He didn't get hurt, and he could still try this NFL thing. He, like, had a pit stop to stand on the sidelines and collect a check. I guess that's not the worst thing in the world for Spencer Sanders? No, it's not. And I think looking at it from a macro view, I think you're going to see more of this. Um, You've already kind of seen it this year. With A.J. Swan, the the Vanderbilt kid yeah. who's played quite a lot of football, ended up at LSU. And, you know, off the back, a lot of people are like, why, why would he do that? And for LSU, it makes a ton of sense because now you have a veteran backup who has at least played SEC football. But after watching what happened to Florida State, where their backups were basically unknowns, and clearly that can affect your standings in these playoff rankings and going into next year, like you need to have – quarterbacks on your roster that these stupid fucking committee knows who they are so they're like you know what that first guy goes down this team is not ruined so i think you're going to see a lot of guys get paid a decent chunk of money to come in to you know quote unquote compete for the starting job but in reality they're just an insurance policy for whoever the starting quarterback is to make sure like your season's not dead if something goes wrong um, so I don't know if that's exactly what Kiffin was thinking when Spencer came in. I think it's pretty well known or at least well thought that like, he actually didn't have that many options and this was just one. And, you know, we can spin it and talk about it whatever way we want to. No one really will know the story. But these guys that have a lot of experience that maybe weren't elite players, I, I think you're going to see them at major programs as the backup quarterbacks coming soon. They're going to get paid a chunk of cash and be an insurance policy for these playoffs coming up. You indirectly posed a very fascinating question. Let's swap Ole Miss and Florida State and swap places. Jackson Dart gets hurt in the season's, I guess that was the penultimate game. Uh, Yeah, it was the second to last week of the season. If Florida State had Spencer Sanders instead of Rodemaker and then whoever the third string was that slogged through the ACC championship game, do they get left out of the playoff? And I know part of it was how it looked against Florida, even though I thought the Rodemaker kid actually played fine. Then the third string in that game becomes a rock fight against Louisville in the ACC championship. But if Ole Miss is undefeated in the ACC, or let's just keep it simple. Florida State goes undefeated. Put it in the vacuum. Yeah, if yeah. Sanders is in their, their backup quarterback, are they left out of the playoff? I think it would be I talked th- about differently. 
I think it would be talked about a lot differently. Um, it's impossible to say. It's impossible to know what like the strategy and the the mindsets and the motivations of the committee were really. Um, so I, I think it'd be a much more interesting conversation. I think that he would have played, you know, in those last two games and probably would have looked a lot better than the two guys they ended up having. You know, one was a true freshman and one Rodemaker who was like a redshirt sophomore or redshirt junior, just not a guy that's played a lot of football. I think it would have been a different conversation for sure. And I think that actually came up. Uh, you saw it kind of make the waves a few times, uh, especially from almost people that are like, man, Spencer Sanders could have been there, could have been different. And it's impossible to know that. But I do think, like you said, the conversation would have been a little bit different about that team, perhaps. And it's funny to me, looking back at it now, I, look, we were both very sympathetic to Florida State after it happened. We called it kind of a sham of a process, but also like understood from an entertainment standpoint. And if you're picking whatever the best four teams means that that really kind of underscored what a sham of the like the whole 14 playoff is and the lack of like concrete criteria. But what's been funny to me, too, is you saw Rodemaker gets in the portal and Florida State is clearly courting Cam Ward, DJ Uyunglele. I'm Hopefully I said that somewhat close to correct, but they're courting yeah, other good. quarterbacks. And so they they spend all this time griping about how they got left out and they're still a good football team with the backup quarterback. But clearly they don't think enough of the backup quarterback to roll with him as the starter next year. They're shopping for established starters in the portal. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. know how you can play both sides of that coin. Yeah, it's slightly contradictory. But like at the end of the day, like these guys make these decisions for themselves. I mean, you see Malik Murphy, who – absolutely could have had an opportunity to be the starting quarterback at Texas next year. I mean, he would have to beat out Arch and whatnot, but he left his team in a playoff run to transfer to Duke. Like it, it just, you never know with how these quarterbacks think, how these programs think. And I think a lot of it has to do at least with those two guys, like just the, the calendar of college football, like they, they have to get into school at some point in January. I know we forget that these kids actually do go to school and it's part of the enrollment process um but this calendar so screwed up like he couldn't stay with his team he's like i don't think i'm gonna be the starter here i want to go somewhere where i can play but i can't be the backup anymore for this team going to the playoffs because i have to find my new place uh it's just a crazy world and it's it's what we're in right now like you said this is how it is like it shouldn't be shocking to people and i know people you know were commenting on the league calling him a quitter it's like this is just this is just college football these days you just better get used to it. You know, it's not worth your time whining and complaining because that's just how it's going to be from here on out until anybody changes anything, which is unlikely, it seems. State had a kid that that happened to, the Jaquarius Bobby kid. He was at TCU, and he chose to stay through their playoff run, and he couldn't play this year. The NCAA wouldn't, like, rule him eligible and get a waiver. Like, it's it's unfortunate. Like you mentioned, it really just kind of points out how screwed up this whole calendar is, which uh, I don't think anyone needs us to tell them that. They Everyone's fully aware of how messed up it is. It just – that really works as pro-player friendly as this current environment is from an NIL standpoint. The calendar is definitely not player friendly. It, it's real screwed up for everybody involved. So – Anyway, I don't know. Interesting end to the Sanders career. Looking at this matchup a little bit, this is fascinating to me because it's going to be a gigantic test for both teams. And in that sense that Penn State's offense has been pretty putrid for a lot of the year. They don't have a ton of explosive plays. Hell, they went 10-2 and two and had an in-season offensive coordinator change. Um, Ole Miss struggled to has struggled to move the ball consistently against elite defenses. I think you can call Penn State's defense elite. Um, or among the best in college football, no less. So this is really a contrast of styles. Like this is going to be a gigantic test for the Ole Miss offense to score enough points to win this game. And on the other end, it's going to be somewhat of a test for Penn State to muster any sort of offense to remain in the game, if that makes sense. I'm not suggesting Ole Miss will boat race them, but it's it's a clash of uh, complementary strengths and weaknesses. It's, it's an interesting matchup uh, for both sides. I'm not sure either team has played a team like the other. Um, I think Neil was saying that a lot of the players thought that Penn State was kind of like Arkansas, which okay. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But I don't know if I see that one either. But I don't think Penn State has played a team like Ole Miss, where they're kind of, you know, much more up tempo, much more spread them out. I mean, maybe Ohio State would be the only comp to kind of how they play, but I don't think that McCord is anywhere near the player that Dart is. But I don't think Ole Miss has a guy anywhere near Marvin Harrison Jr. either. Um, and just looking at the actual numbers on this game, you know, Penn State is kind of out to they're out to a five point favorite right now. 
Um, the over-under is at 48 and a half, which is got to be the lowest total for an Ole Miss game this year, um, which yeah, I think, I it, think so. says, yeah, which says a lot about both Penn State's defense and Ole Miss's kind of inability to really score on elite defenses. You know, it's it's that matchup that I think is the one that people are going to be looking at the most. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I've got a lot of questions about Ole Miss's offensive line versus this defensive line. I know Chop Robinson will not be playing, but Abdul Carter will still be there. Uh, and they've got a lot of other really good players, especially in the back end as well. You know, their their skill and their scheme and everything on defense is undeniable. Um, that's been their calling card this entire season. If they had any modicum of a, a kind of just a unique or well-schemed offense, this, this team could be undefeated. Uh, truly could be undefeated. Um, so it's going to be a really tough test for Ole Miss. I'm confident that Ole Miss's defense, I think it's a really good matchup for them offensively. The quarterback doesn't run a whole lot. Now, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he's just not really a guy that I'm worried about, you know, beating Ole Miss over the top. They've had wide receiver issues all year, but they've got a really good stable of running backs. Um, the kid that was a freshman, along with Judkins, uh, Singleton, is dynamic as hell. Guy's a really good player. He's tough to bring down, and they're going to ride him a lot. So I, I'm i not surprised. It's like around 48 and a half. I think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game. Uh, I think it'll be one of those weird bowl games where everyone, you know, maybe there's some trick plays here and there for both teams. I think both teams really want to win. I think you're going to see them play like that. But that doesn't always equal a high-scoring game by any means. Um, so it's going to be important for Dart. It's going to be important to see if Jaden Williams is healthy because, you know, with him and, you know, Pettis being out, you're going to need to have all the offensive linemen you could possibly have. Um, so I, I think the line, I think the over-under is about right. Um, but I definitely think Ole Miss can win this game. Uh, but it's definitely not – I think people have dismissed Penn State because – they haven't looked really good doing with how they do it, but that doesn't mean they're not a really good football team. Uh, so it'll be a fascinating game, I think. It, their defense is legit. Um, I was reading uh, a season grades from someone at one of their statewide media outlets. Guy's definitely not a homer. Like he ripped into the receiver issues, the in season offensive coordinator firing, and all of that. But it was funny. Every single one of his defensive grades was an A. Like he, he just go from secondary to linebackers to defensive line to corners. He's like, I, I don't really know what to critique on this team. He's like, I guess Marvin Harrison torched him in a game. But like I have to give all of these groups A's. They, they're just that good defensively, top to bottom. Even with Chop Robinson not playing, they're still loaded on the defense defensive line. I think, look, it's always an advantage when you go down and you start fast and you score early in this game. But I think the Kiffin being almost automatic on script, if that proves to be true, once again, is going to be massive because I do think ultimately, as you mentioned, points are going to be hard to come by. I do think Ole Miss is going to struggle to consistently move the football like you've seen them do against other opponents against this defense. If you can do the, you know, at Georgia on script thing and go up seven to nothing, that's going to be a massive development for Ole Miss in how the rest of the game plays out because it immediately puts a rather benign Penn State offense behind the eight ball. And I think points will ultimately become a lot harder to come by after that opening drive should Ole Miss score on script like they almost automatically do. Right, and they're going to get the ball first. I mean, there's absolutely no way Penn State is taking the ball first and Ole Miss will not defer to them. I think they'd receive too, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. No, definitely receiving. Um, And, you know, this defense lost their defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, is now the head coach at Duke. That will not be a big issue. I, they're going to have somebody that knows exactly what the scheme is. I mean, Tom Allen will not – he's their new defensive coordinator, but he's, I would say, unlikely to be calling this game. Though Their I two co-coordinators are longtime staffers. The two interim guys that are kind of co-managing the defense have been around a while. I don't think they're going to miss much of a beat. Yeah, exactly. So that, that won't really be a factor. But this is definitely not a team – that's a catch-up team. So if Ole Miss is able to get out there hot, and I mean, I think they will. There's no reason to think they won't. They've only done it every single game, yeah. uh, except for the weird Egg Bowl for all for whatever reasons. Um, but that's short week. Uh, I think Ole Miss will be as rested and healthy as they've been in a while, which I think will be a huge advantage to them. Um, because when we've seen this team earlier in the season, they were or kind of mid-season, early season healthy. You know, they're just a faster team. I I think the dome and the speed of the dome will be good for them. Um, and it'll be exciting to see, you know, probably some younger players, uh, usually in bowl games. I, I just would be surprised, though, 
I guess nothing with Kiffin shocks me. They, they just roll out this Dayton Wade, Watkins, and Harris for 90 offensive snaps. I mean, you won't get to 90 snaps. It'll probably be like 65 in this kind of game. Uh, I think you'll see rotations. I think you'll see a pretty conservative offensive game plan. I don't predict that Ole Miss is going to be going for it a bunch because I think they're pretty confident in their defense's matchup against Penn State's offense. Uh, maybe it'll be a special teams kind of game where Watkins can get a punt return or Penn State gets a field goal block. I, who knows? But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of motivation. I think you're going to see two teams that really care about this game, and that's going to be unusual in a lot of these bowl games. And I, I mean, I'm excited. I mean, like I said, it, it's just exciting and fun to look forward to another Ole Miss game. And that's the the takeaway more than anything else. You know, it's not going to affect their future, but it'll be exciting for the now and, and to see, you know, what the growth of this team has been. Um, and it'll be a good experience for, I think they've got some mid-year recruits that are there. I think Cam Franklin and Raymond Collins travel with the team, so they'll get to experience what a game day will be like. can't imagine they're dressing out, but maybe they'll do it for shits and giggles. Um I don't even think they're eligible to play. So I was going to ask you the same thing. I don't know. I don't think they're allowed to play, but I'm sure they're, they're not allowed to play. I think yeah. they're allowed to travel. Okay. Um, so they probably won't dress out. But uh, no, it's it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really really cool. It's going to be a the tone setter for a great game of bowl, a great day of bowl games. Well, Georgia Florida State hypothetically was going to be good. But I think you got like 40 opt out. We'll get back to Weldon in just one second. But before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. But that's why this game is so much fun. It's pretty much everyone is playing, barring a couple of defensive line exceptions on both sides, whereas you have that Florida State game later in the day, and the list of combined opt-outs is probably almost as long as one of the team's rosters. Like, that's just very watered-down Orange Bowl. Like, it, that's not what you're going to get here, which makes this a lot of fun. No, I think it'll be the only uh, New Year's Six day game or New Year's Six bowl game game where – both teams are like, you know, both teams have their quarterbacks. Both teams have the large majority of their teams playing in the game. I mean, Missouri and Ohio State, you know, McCord and Marvin Harrison aren't playing. And then Oregon, Liberty, it's fucking Oregon and Liberty. And then yeah. Georgia, Florida State, they've got a 40 combined opt-outs. Uh, this will be one of the only New Year's Six games where the two teams care. Um, now, will that mean there'll be massive ratings and everyone will be locked in? That, not necessarily, but I think it'll be one of the more interesting games to watch throughout the uh, the kind of New Year's Day, New Year's Eve bowl games until the playoffs come. We talk about this game not really having any effect on next year or the future and all that other than momentum. I will say, though, if you're kind of I'm, I'm grasping at straws a little bit here, but if Ole Miss were to come out and score a bunch of points and move the football like at will on a defense, the caliber, I'm not predicting this at all, but a sure. defense, the caliber of Penn States, 
That would be something I would fall away for next year with the amount of guys they have returning, particularly at the skill positions. That would be something I would kind of keep in my back pocket to where Ole Miss has the season in 2024 that a many are anticipating and they actually kind of take the next step as a program. That might be, if it does happen, something I would fall away for next year of like maybe they they found something there because, again, this is a massive defensive uh, offensive test for the Ole Miss offense or defensive test, I should say, because – this is an elite defense that also turns the football over, uh, turns opponents over more than anyone in the country. So if they were to do this, that would be something I would kind of keep in my back pocket and be like, hey, maybe they found something here. The biggest future outcome that this game can actually affect is whether or not Ole Miss is like a top five preseason team or like a top 15 preseason team. Right. Um, and that's that is not nothing. I think you've seen that there's a massive bias towards teams that are ranked highly in the preseason polls whether they should be or shouldn't be. That's not up to us to decide. That's clearly what's been shown throughout the years. I mean, Tennessee lost four games, didn't beat one team that was worth a shit, and they still ended up in the top 25, probably only because they were like a top 10 team going into the season. Uh, so it, it's absolutely not nothing. I think you'll see, you know, it'll be one of those games where it's like, can Lane's offensive scheme overcome an elite defense and if he doesn't, it'll be kind of like more of the same going into next season. Be like, well, that'll be the biggest test is like if they can ever overcome a elite defense. And like you said, if they're able to put up real points and kind of take it to Penn State, I think the narrative will shift for from Ole Miss to, you know, what can they do to what will they do next year? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a perfect way to put it. And offensively for Penn State I think if Ole Miss forces Drew Aller to beat them I think they're in a pretty good spot because they do have that two-headed monster with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen um, they're really they, good they're they are both very good really, backs really who, good players they came in together in the same class and kind of took the Big Ten by storm a year ago um the lack of explosive plays in the running game is something that Penn State I know how to gripe with and that was kind of a difference in their season but they, if, I don't think Aller is good enough to beat them. In the two games that of consequence for Penn State, Michigan and Ohio State, Aller, with the, who was a 60% completion percentage guy for the year, was under 45% in both of those games. So he struggles against good defenses. I don't think he's going to be good enough to beat Ole Miss with his, ar- uh, with his arm. And a lot of that's these issues they've had at receiver. But I think, I mean, breaking news here, the key for Ole Miss in this game is stopping the run. I mean, the, the, the tale is old as time in football, but I think it really proves true here because if Penn State's not generating success running the football, I think it's going to be a long day for them because I don't think Aller in that receiving quarter can move the football up and down the field on Ole Miss. No, I, I don't think they can either, but I will say if you don't get pressure on him and he's just back there, I mean, he's fully competent of hitting open receivers. Like this guy is not a – I mean, he's a little bit more than a jag, I would say. Like he, he can absolutely – uh, hurts you if you can't get to them. And if you look at the two games against Ohio State and Michigan, those are obviously two elite, you know, front sevens that were able to really bother him. And they weren't able to run the ball effectively, so they had kind of had to go through through the air. And he he was not successful at that. Uh, I don't without Cedric Johnson. I know. Look, we don't care that he's opting out, but you're losing one of your elite pass rushers that that really will become an issue for Ole Miss. We've seen it against teams with really good offensive lines. Penn State has one. Um, I can't – is the is the Ophi guy playing? The so left he, he's traveling, but they don't know what his status is for the game. So I don't know how that's going to play. He's going to be with the team, but the latest thing I read, which is this morning right before we start recording, he will be there in attendance at the Peach Bowl, but they don't know whether he's going to play. I don't know why you would go and not play, but, hey, I, I, again, I don't have any insight into the Nittany Lions program either. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, well, you surely hope he doesn't play because that guy is yeah. elite. Um, and that will be a problem in, in terms of pass rush. But that, that'll be another key. Yeah, of course you want to stop the run, but you've got to put Aller under at least a little bit of pressure. So he can't just sit back there, set his feet, and make throws because, you know, he's a college quarterback at Penn State. He absolutely can hit open receivers if you let him just sit back there all day. And I probably undersold him a little bit. He was a highly touted kid out of high school. He's a four-star. Very he's much a, so. He's a 19-year-old true sophomore replacing a four-year starter with terrible receiving core. The vibe I got from talking to the Penn State guy was the offensive coordinator set him up for failure, could never get him in rhythm, and his receiving core is a disaster. He's got two very good tight ends that they didn't utilize as much. But I probably, like you mentioned, he's definitely more than just a guy. I probably undersold Aller. I don't think he will be capable of doing that because of what he has around him is probably the way I should have phrased it. No, I mean, I don't think you're even wrong in the in the first section of your thought. You know, he he has not proven to be the elite guy people thought he was. He was a um, 
a kid out of Ohio who was like a really late bloomer. I, I remember him coming out of recruitment. It was like, who the hell is this guy when people were looking for quarterbacks late? And then he finally kind of started going to some camps, ended up making uh, one of those bowl, like either the Under Armour game or the All-American game, and like just shot up the rankings. Uh, eventually ended up at Penn State, and people had a lot of hope for this guy. Um, he was behind um, the kid that was at Clifford. Penn State. For forever. Clifford was there for like a decade. Yeah, Sean Clifford. He was there for forever. And they were always so frustrated because they're like, look, this Aller guy, every time he got in the game, like he just looks like, you know, he's got an absolute rocket. Why are we starting with Clifford? And I think a lot of people this year have seen like, hey, you know, this guy is is definitely good, but he's not exactly polished yet. Like clearly they they kind of knew exactly what they're doing. But look, yeah, he absolutely may have been held back by an offensive scheme that is not fit for him and did not utilize their weapons. Uh, but he's still got talent. There's a reason, you know, why he is where he is and he's been starting for them and, you know, not everybody missed on him. So I'd like, I don't think he's going to come out and just absolutely whip Ole Miss through the air, but he's not a nobody either. Um, So you kind of have to make him at least uncomfortable. Penn State's a weird team that's in a little bit of a similar situation as Ole Miss. They've just been there longer. They're trying to crack the top tier of their league, which is Ohio State and Michigan, and haven't quite been able to do that. They're on a seven-game losing streak to Ohio State. They've lost three in a row to Michigan. They went 10-2 and and won their games by an average of 32 points per game. They were one of the top scoring offenses in the Big Ten, but fired their coordinator and lost the two games of consequence. And look, those were both competitive games against Ohio State and Michigan. I think all you need to know about how good Penn State defense is that Ohio State and Michigan couldn't get to 25 points on them. Um, But it is just kind of funny to think about. They fired their offensive coordinator in season in a 10-win season where they averaged 37 points a game. It's just they're trying to crack that top tier. They haven't been quite been able to do that yet. But they're a good example of what we talk about of Ole Miss winning a bunch of football games over a three-year span and being relevant. They're a strong brand in a healthy position, even though they haven't gotten into that elite tier quite yet. And no, Franklin won the big did once. I should give him credit for that too. No, like I said, they're not. I wouldn't call them the same position as Ole Miss. I think this is this last three-year run has been something for Ole Miss that's been a little bit different. That they're still trying to get over that hump, that kind of glass ceiling that's been there. I mean, Penn State's won the Big Ten. Like they've been a nine, 10 win team for what feels like the last like six or seven years. Like they they are established in what they are now. Do they think, and do they want to be better than what they are? Absolutely. You know, there's a clear, you know, tier in that league with Ohio state and Michigan being at the top and Penn state being a, a clear number two to those one A's and one B's up there but that they are more established in where they are as a program and their consistency up there. And look, I mean, it's Penn state, like this, this team, this team, this program I know has been marred by controversy with Sandusky, but they've won national championships. They've been a national brand for decades. Like this is nothing new for them. Right. Um, it, it's not necessarily totally new for Ole Miss, but I think the range and the realm of possibilities and the future for Ole Miss has looked different than it has been for years and years and years. Um, So I wouldn't put them on the same level necessarily, but they are in this new world of college football in a very similar position of we should be 12 team playoff teams. Now, where can we go from that? So you're definitely right on that. Um, they're similar they're what they're trying similar. to do in the next step is probably the way I should have said it. Like they're what they're trying to do next, like the next level, oh, they're trying to accomplish the same thing. Yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely. This 12 team playoff is going to be huge for teams like Penn State, Ole Miss that have been like creeping on the possibility of doing something special. But now they're, they'll have that open barrier of entry uh, to this new era of college football that I think will elevate these two programs to where they would like to be and where they've been trying to get to for the past four or five years. And they're also both going to benefit from the elimination of divisions. So as the big 10 expands, they're getting rid of the stupid two divisions where you have Ohio state, Penn state and Michigan on one side. And then you have an Iowa team that no one's happy with that. uh, There's no one of them in their fan base is happy with, but they somehow played in their conference title game because the division sucks. That's going to help them as well, which will be kind of fascinating to see how that plays out in the big 10. Um, how often do you see a 10-win team fire an offensive coordinator when they average 37 points a game? I mean, that just goes to show you numbers can kind of be deceiving, but you, you don't see that happen a ton. Well, that they, they've been clearly, you know, basing their, you know, review of this team off of the games that matter. I mean, putting up 30 against Iowa and putting up 
like I think it was like something crazy against Illinois. It just those games don't matter. It's what you do against the big boys, and I, I can kind of understand. I mean, James Franklin's had a pretty quick trigger with his offensive coordinators. I think this will be like his fourth or fifth uh, since he's been at Penn State. Um, they brought in that guy from Kansas. I think it's a great hire for them. I think what that guy's done at Kansas with really good quarter play, quarterback play, oddly enough, has been really fun to watch. Um, but I mean, no, you don't say it that often, uh, obviously, but they view themselves as an elite program and they view themselves as needing to get over a hump. And that's just what you got to do. You, you got to make changes if the changes are necessary. And Franklin has shown throughout the years that he's absolutely willing to do that if it's necessary. This is a dumb question, but I think the conversation is interesting. Even if the general answer is obvious, just when you worked in recruiting, Seems like the Southern schools, the SEC schools, have had a little bit more success going getting kids from the North versus these Big Ten schools plucking kids out of the South. Is that accurate and why? I think it's accurate because the the, the teams focus differently on their programs. I think when you look at Michigan and Ohio State, those, those two teams are able to recruit nationally, um, but they don't have to go into the Deep South as much. I think Michigan has absolutely dominated – the kind of Midwest as well as the DMV in New Jersey areas where there's actually a lot more football players than you would think, especially kind of up there in those uh, big Catholic schools over in New Jersey and and, in Pennsylvania, Ohio state has, you know, they recruit all over the country, but they really go into Texas more than anything else. And then uh, both those schools are able to go into California as well and grab kids that they, they see fit. Penn State is a little bit different. They kind of do it in a more traditional way. Uh, they recruit their state, which does have good players really well. They recruit the DMV as hard as anybody in the country does. Um, they will attempt to go into Virginia and not North Carolina and South Carolina as well. It's not too far from them. Um, and then a very occasionally will they go into Florida. I think Katron Allen is a Florida guy, if I remember correctly. Uh, but Nick Singleton's a, a Pennsylvania guy. Uh, and so he's got him from there. Drew Allers from Ohio. Uh, Lambert Smith, one of the receivers, is from Virginia. So they kind of are a more regional recruiting program. Uh, they've not been huge in the portal. Uh, they're just doing no, it. To pretty- underscore your point, they signed 25 kids in the early signing period this past uh, Yeah couple weeks ago or last week whenever the hell that was it was very rare that when we were recruiting that we were against a kid that like was considering Penn State seriously and that's not a commentary on Penn State or Ole Miss they just do not overlap very often Um, Penn State though that being said for what they have done they have recruited at an incredibly high level um, over these past two or three years I mean Abdul Carter was a five-star. Everybody in the country wanted that kid. I think he was out of uh, Philadelphia, if I remember correctly. Uh, They have raised their recruiting ceiling in the high school level over the past three or four years to really continue to compete with teams like Michigan and Ohio State up there. They have have raised it to kind of that like 10 to 15 level to like top 10 class level. So they're doing it traditionally, but they're doing it really well. Lastly, as we kind of wrap up the Ole Miss talk here, we had we did a pod a week, week and a half ago, whenever that was, as Ole Miss was starting to generate success in the portal. We've covered a lot of this, but since then they have gotten Juice Wells and they've gotten Walter Nolan. They've continued to capitalize on the success, and it, it's it's been remarkable to see them become the early 2024 story of college football with what they've been able to do in the portal. What do you make of them landing Wells and Nolan? It's just massive. I mean, it's just continuing the trend they've they've been on in this portal cycle, which is going all in. Um, They have by far the number one transfer portal class. And I think if you look at kind of like some of those combined rankings with their high school recruiting and transfer portal, they're somewhere between that eight to 15 range, depending on what site you look at. And in order to build an elite program, being in that range is where Ole Miss has to be. Um, How they get it done is, you know, completely up to them. And they've, they've, built this niche of being a portal heavy team, but I think they have raised their floor based on how they've built the roster traditionally as well. Um, This recruiting class was not perfect, but they hit on a lot of needs that they had. And I think it's, if they continue to do that, continue to be successful, 
they'll build on that 19 and maybe next year they'll be around 15. And then you can kind of go up and down depending on, you know, what the in-state class is like and what they're able to do in portals year after year. But it's been really interesting listening to, I mean, I follow so many different college football podcasts and there's not a whole lot of news these days. So what Ole Miss has done in the portal has been on the top of a lot of different national podcasts, whether it's Andy Staples or, snaps with Aaron Murray and T-Bob or stuff with Bruce Feldman. I mean, it's been all over and, you know, people have had a lot of different theories on it. I think you've seen it from every single angle. A lot of people have been incredibly positive in saying that Ole Miss is going to be a team that's competing for the playoffs and a national championship. And they've been a team and a program that has done this before and they're used to it. And this year they're just going all in. There have been some that have been a little bit more negative that have been, you know, asking the questions of what does this do to your culture? And they're only looking for next year. And, you know, this is not a sustainable way to build a program. And, you know, we've been in this Ole Miss, us two have been in this Ole Miss, you know, thought bubble for, for two or three years now. Everyone actually is now having the conversation that we've had for the last 18 months, two years. Exactly. It, it, for them, it's newer. And for us, it's the same, but it doesn't necessarily mean that anything that these national guys are saying are right or wrong, you know, because we still have questions. Sure. Um, I think this year particularly, though, it, it's different. I think that the roster they have coming back is at a level that it hasn't been in the past few years and that the portal additions they brought in, especially on the defensive side, has been in order to maximize what this team can do, not to kind of paint over the issues that they have. Right. You know, this is this is adding not by want or sorry, adding by need, not by want. Um, so I, I understand why people are having these questions and, you know, what they're whether they're positive or negative. I don't think they're unfair by any means, but it's just interesting to see them really be part of this national conversation going into next year and really into this portal season, which is far from over. Um, it, it's been very eye-opening to see people talk about Ole Miss in the way that they have been over the last few weeks. It's the best version of what they've tried to do for the last couple of years, and I think it's a product of, one, kind of navigating the landscape, having a couple of trial runs, and it's a product of uh, – everyone loves to use the phrase pull in the same direction, but it's correct. It's, it's, it's the front end and the back end. It's the collective, the organization side of that. It's it's the Kiffin and – and the entire staff kind of knowing how to navigate the portal, getting the right kids. We talked about that at the 2022 versus 2023 portal class. This is like the most refined version of what they've been doing the last couple of years. And it's paying dividends because whether you think it's a good, bad strategy or whatever, uh, I know one way to make it a strategy ineffective is to not stick with it. And they've stuck with it. And they're now kind of reaping the benefits, at least on paper. We'll see how it turns out next year. But they, you can't knock them for not being committed to it because they have dove all in on this. Uh, they are absolutely committed to it. They're organized. They have a plan of attack and they've hit the portal as hard and as effective and as successful as anybody in the country. And that is absolutely undeniable. And I said it last week and I, I think it is incredibly true that, you know, this is not the portal is not like high school recruiting. You know, you have to be have a proof of concept and have been successful in order to get high level guys. You know, I don't think this team would have gone eight and four or seven and five this year that they're getting a Walter Nolan or a Juice Wells or a Princely Umamiel. And I think Ole Miss is one of those teams where, you know, you can have all the money in the world and be successful, you know, in a collective mindset. But if you don't have the proofs of concept and success, these guys are not just going to die to come to Ole Miss. I, I think what they've been able to do on the field and off the field combined is the reason why they've been so successful in the portal more than anything else. Do you put any stock into, as we record this, they had another press conference this morning, Dart and Judkins playing coy. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that right before we got on and it's impossible to know or to say what those kids are thinking. I think that they will both be back. I don't have a lot of concerns about it, but if they both end up in the portal, Judkins more than Dart. If Dart ends up yes. in the portal, I've got a lot of questions. I am stunned if Dart's not back next year. I would be surprised if Judkins wasn't. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them got into the portal for leverage. But yeah, sure. You haven't seen that. I know it's been talked about. I know Neil talks about it a lot. You have not seen a whole lot of leverage portaling. I, I can think of like one or two guys on the top of my head 
Patrick Payton at Florida State, who was like an elite edge rusher, one of the best players on their team, got in the portal. And within like a week or two, he was out of the portal. Um, I still, I think he's out. I think that was a leverage play of like, this is my high, but I don't, can't think of the top of my head, like that many other ones. A couple of Mississippi State dudes, the names aren't coming to mind. Like one or two, one receiver last year, they got back in the boat. Yeah, but like, I mean, I know they had like, you know, Nick DeCarlos Nicholson has yeah. been in the portal and, you know, one of the other, Corey Ellington was in the portal and they're both out, I think. But like, that's just not the caliber of player I'm talking about. And that's yeah, sure. those two, I think, two good players, but we're not talking about guys get like those guys. I'm talking about like Judkins, like the Patrick Payton kid, like what Walter Nolan could have been if he had gone back to Texas A&M, like real difference makers that are, they're going in as like an actual business decision didn't seem to be as popular as I thought or many thought it might be. So, like I said, Dart clearly has been, like, recruiting. I mean, there was the whole stuff before the Egg Bowl about him coming back. I think they're playing coy. I think they have probably will be signing a new deal, and I think they'll be back. Um, but, like I said, who knows these days? It's Nothing is impossible by any means. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was Tua Griffin who I was thinking of. He got in the portal in early January last year and then got back out. That's who I was thinking of on the state side. But to your point, you haven't seen Yeah, that you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, last thing before we get to the fastest growing segment on American soil. I Do you have like old tweets that get randomly liked by bots now? Do you have some of that going on? I have that in my That's more sometimes. For me, it's more like Instagram. Like I'll be on Instagram and like I'll get likes and follows from like people and bots that are clearly not real. And they'll like like 30 photos in a row. And it's just like, I, I mean, thank you. But <laughs> no, not not as much with tweets anymore. No. So I have a reason for asking this. So I had this happen to me the other night and it alerted me to a tweet I was tagged in in September um, that I guess I just never seen. And it was after either the first or second home football game, I was in the uh, elevator going down out of the stadium with my parents. And there was a young kid there with his family who I guess recognized me and said he listens to our show a bunch, which was obviously very cool. He was a nice kid, super nice family. The question I pose for you, if you let a kid listen to me and you talk for a couple hours, could that be considered bad parenting? I mean, we appreciate all listeners. So no, I think it's great parenting. Um, I mean, maybe we need kind of like a movie, like forewarning on language, but I mean, I don't know what to say. I, I'm happy they're listening. I don't think it's bad parenting at all. I think it's good parenting. You learn a little bit. That's exactly what I think too. I think it's a uh, great parenting as well, but it was just funny. It made me think of that. So shout out to the Meek family in Mobile. We appreciate you listening to the show. It's very nice to meet you back then. I meant to do I'm that near, at the time. I'm near Mobile right now. Time. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they, they knew that Fairhope is our place. They, they were like, I, that guy, he's in Fairhope a lot. That's cool with me. I'm going there. I'm listening. We're just shaping young minds. We're uh, molding the next generation of uh, podcasters, part-time podcasters. So thank you for listening as always. That made me think of that. Let's go to the uh, fastest growing segment on American soil to wrap up this pod. It is soccer corner. Um, what do we have going on? We've got Liverpool at the top. Man City has dropped all the way to fourth. Um, now they are now a full five points back of first place. What has happened here? It is rare to see Manchester city in the two years we've been doing this segment. You have three teams above them. I'm not actually sure that's happened since we've been doing this. Probably not. Um, they've had Holland has not been in and playing. Rodri has been kind of in and out of their team. And like, they have been such a machine that when you kind of start losing a few parts, especially two of your easily two of your most important parts that you'll see kind of a slip, you know, in form. And they've got three losses at this point. You know, that's pretty crazy with four draws as well. They kind of just have not been as efficient as they have been over the past few years. Um, that doesn't mean they're not going to come back and win this thing. It's we're at the midway points, you know, boxing day was the past two days. Uh, where they've everyone's played a match and City won yesterday on the road against Everton, who's actually been pretty good as of late after their point deduction. Um, so they're not dead, but they're just different. Uh, they, they have not been as efficient. They have not been scoring as much as they have been. They have been conceding more than they've had been, been in the last three years. I think that's been the biggest shock with them. Uh, but they're far from out of this thing uh, at, at all. And uh, like I said, it's the midway point. Uh, they're about to ramp up Champions League again, so there's going to be more rotation. So it's going to be difficult for them. It's absolutely going to be difficult, but they're not dead by any means. Okay. 
who's do you have any doubts as to whether they'll win the league? I hear of of Liverpool, Arsenal, and Villa. I'll ask it this way: of the three teams that are currently ahead of them, and I'll throw Tottenham, the one team behind them. Of those four teams that are seem to be kind of in the mix and have a realistic shot at this, who would be the most likely to win it if it's not Manchester City? I think it would be Arsenal. Okay. In my opinion, I think it would be Arsenal. Liverpool is so up and down. Um, now look, they're the head, of the, they're at the top of the league right now. But you've seen they've got like six draws, which is a lot for a team like that. They just haven't lost much, which that's the name of the game is get results. Uh, I think Tottenham has way too many injuries right now. They get like eight guys out. I think you're going to see them. They play today, actually at two. They play at Brighton. Uh, I think that will be a tough game for them. Um, Villa, they were up 2-0 on United on, I guess that was the day after Christmas, and they United came back to win 3-2 at home, a shocking result for a team that looked like they were absolutely dead. Um, so I, Arsenal and Liverpool, for sure, are teams I would be confident uh, over City. Villa and Tottenham, and especially United, I don't think they will be teams that will be chasing for this title. If you're, I, wa- I watched a piece of that Villa match where Manchester City camp comes back to win it. That shocking result aside, Villa has not placed at the top of the Premier League in a while. If you're an Aston Villa fan, are you just losing your shit right now? The fact that you're in late December and you're three points back at the top of the league, you're pretty jacked up. Okay, you absolutely are. I mean, they've got a great manager. They've they've spent incredibly well. They have a clear style. They know exactly what they want to do. Uh, defensively, they've got some issues. Uh, they they concede quite a few goals. They've got a great goalkeeper, though. The Argentinian national team goalkeeper is their guy. Um, they're very good. I think they're going to be up here competing for European football. Uh, they are not going to win this league, though. They don't have the firepower or depth for that by at all. Uh, but, yeah, you've got to be pretty jacked up for where you are right now, uh, just halfway through the season. So they, I did a little bit of homework in researching this little bit. They have obviously been mostly a Premier League club for the most of their existence, but they got relegated in 2017. They come back up in 2019 and they finished 17th, 11th, 14th, 7th, and now in their third place finish. How rare is it to see a team get relegated, go come back up and get to the top of the league this quickly over like a six, seven year span? I mean, it's not completely crazy um but it's definitely different i mean you look at teams like brighton and what they've become in this league um even teams like brentford where they they have now just been a consistent fixture in the premier league for the last three seasons since they've caught up i mean they haven't gotten as high as they probably would like but they're in it they're consistently between that like 10th to 14th place um in the league i I think villa has a lot of history they they they're a well-established team in English football. So they've got more investment than they've ever had. I think they've gotten the manager correct. I think they've built well from within uh, and they just do good business. You know, they sold Jack Grealish to Man City for over a hundred million or around a hundred million. They've spent that money on really good, solid players to kind of rebuild that squad. And eventually they'll do the same thing. I think with Jacob Ramsey, who's a young player for them now, who's shown quite a lot of potential and they'll just keep going from there. And that's kind of where you, when you're a team like that, where you're not top six in this league in terms of financials, but if you're able to kind of develop elite players, sell them for a high price and then restock your, your roster with really solid complimentary players. And hopefully you get another one again like that. That's how you build success in this league and how you get to where you are and to where they are right now. And I think you've seen that with Brighton, I think you've seen that a little bit with West Ham, and I think you've seen it as much as anybody these past like kind of two years with Aston Villa as well. Saudi Castle is cratered to eighth in the league. Are, are the the overlords going to start chopping off appendages? What's going on here? They, I think they are, were unused to having to play extra games like they have. I think the Champions okay, that's League, interesting. They were in an incredibly intense group in the Champions League. They were unable to rotate squads against. E- any of the teams they played, Dortmund, PSG, and AC Milan, they ended up finishing out of the top two, so they did not qualify. And I think with injuries and having to play those those games, you know, those midweek games along with Premier League games, they've they've just tired out. They've kind of hit that wall uh, midway through this season where they've just not been in the form that they have been uh, as of late. So I'm not super worried about them. 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, but it's definitely a thing for them that that has been a massive issue for them is squad depth, injuries, and just overall fatigue. They, they've just been worn out. This has been the fastest growing segment on American soil soccer corner. He is Weldon Rodenberg. We appreciate the time, dude. And uh, we'll have one last recap after the game. All right. Sounds good. Good goal. Miss. See what happens. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. I appreciate you listening. Uh, safe travels if you're headed to the Peach Bowl. Um, oh, and last thing, I don't do this often enough, but I appreciate the feedback on the Grove Collective story. If you haven't read it, I did a deep dive on the founding of the Grove Collective. It's up on rebelgrove.com. I'm a horrendous self-promoter, and I also don't tell you people thank you enough, but really appreciate the feedback on that and the podcast and everything. Definitely means a lot and is not lost on me. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. And uh, we will see you at the Peach Bowl. I'm headed there now.